This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. This is a Business Radio special presentation of Mind Your Business, live from the EY Strategic Growth Forum in Palm Springs, California. Here is your host, Lauren Feldman. Hello. Welcome to a special two-hour episode of Mind Your Business, live from the EY Strategic Growth Forum in Palm Springs, California. You're listening to SiriusXM's Business Radio, powered by the Warden School. I'm your host, Lauren Feldman. I'm the Senior Editor of Entrepreneurship at Forbes. EY Strategic Growth Forum is an annual invite-only event with over 2,000 CEOs and founders in attendance. We're honored to be here and uh, send a big thanks to EY for hosting us. We're going to do something a little different today. Normally, as you know, the show is all about you, our listeners. We take your calls, offer advice, kick around what you're struggling with, whatever your pain point is at the moment. But today, we're going to be speaking with some pretty impressive entrepreneurs uh, about their own stories of success and failure. Let's get started with our first guest, Karen Clark-Call, the uh, CEO and co-founder of Blink UX. Welcome to the show, Karen. Thanks, Lauren. Really appreciate your being here, taking the time. Um, Let's start uh, with the basics. I think more and more people know exactly what UX is, but not everybody. Tell us, you guys are a consulting firm. You help uh, businesses with their websites. But what exactly sets you apart from somebody who builds a website? What do you do uh, with UX? Sure. So uh, UX stands for user experience. Um, And how we really refer to our business is evidence-driven design. And what that means is the design work that we're doing is all based in actual research, understanding the people that we're designing for. So what are their motivations? Um, what are their needs? What's their environment that they're using the system in? Um, and largely the things that we're working on these days are um, complex back-end systems, enterprise-level systems, a lot of Internet of Things um, uh, devices, systems, you name it, um, and you know everything coming up, a lot of voice nowadays, a lot of AR, VR. That's such a, a, a wide range. It seems like the, uh, the transition from helping somebody with a website to helping them with voice, I assume you're talking about devices like Alexa. Mm-hmm. Um, is that the, something that yeah. you had to gear up to do, or is it a natural transition? It's pretty natural. The websites that we originally were working on, they're all um, application websites. So it would be online banking system, something where there's a complex interaction and where there's not a model out there for how people use this thing. So we don't do a lot of e-commerce work for that reason. Um, Amazon has set a pretty good de facto standard of how people expect to uh, work through an e-commerce site. And it's better in those cases just to use what people are expecting and what they um, have been accustomed to using. So we're in there uh, redesigning things like um, loan origination systems so that um, big companies like Farm Credit, who uh, give billions and billions of dollars every year to farmers for their property as well as their homes, it used to be multi-week process, and now it's really down to hours, um, all based through a well-designed user experience of the system in designed in the sense that it's for the people who are coming and specific what their needs are. Interesting. What, give us an example of what you would do with a, with a voice system. How can you help somebody uh, improve that kind of system? Um, there's a couple of things that are fun that we're, we've just finished and are working on. Um, we're working with Moen to help them create a voice-activated digital shower. So if you didn't think you needed <laughs> that, it's really fantastic. You can be lying in bed and have the shower turn on to the right temperature. Um, the, another one that's really a you great, know, why, why do we need that? 
because it's fantastic. <laughs> I mean, that's in the delight box of, you know, if you can make life um, more enjoyable in any way, that's ultimately our goal. And what we're trying to do is um, help people have more meaningful experiences in the real world. And the technology is out of the way because it's so well designed, so you don't even notice it. So if you're really focused on the technology or the app or the system, chances are it's because there's trouble and you're, you have to work your way through it. And so if it's seamless and it's designed for your needs and your mental model, how you think, then the technology is really out of the way and you can get back to, you know, having real conversations with real people. And um, voice in particular is really helping in the healthcare space for people with disabilities as well as um, seniors in the homes. You can have your lights turned on with a voice command. Um, things like that are really helping people live their lives in a way that's um, less, less friction, less, less friction, sorry to say, um, and sort of allowing them to spend more time living again. And, and w- can you give us an example of what kind of role you would play? Are, are you talking about vocabulary? Uh, how are you helping make a, a voice system? Yeah, that's more a great question. Friendly? It's the vocabulary as well as um, the, the the sequencing. So what when what what should somebody say? When should they say it? And what should the response from the system be? Um, but in a lot of cases for voice, we're just helping companies more strategically think when they should use it and really when they shouldn't in a lot of cases. Um, and another great example is um, with Pilot Flying J, they provide um, it, their truck stops across the country and they provide um, food, diesel, showers, bathrooms, all those kind of things for the people who are on the road constantly. And um, getting to a station and having to wait in line for your fuel is really um, damaging to these uh, truck drivers who they're paid by the minute in many cases. So if they can find out ahead of time where there's gas or a diesel pump available and then pull into the right stop when they've um, made a booking and do that all through voice in their trucks, it's really a lot safer. And so there's all kinds of ways that it's um, enabling just a, a better, you know, safer world in those cases. At Forbes, we uh, we picked your company as one of our 25 mm. uh, Forbes small giants in 2016. One of our greatest honors. Uh, that's nice of you to say. We think you have a very special company, and the the, the idea with small giants is we look for companies that uh, have prob- have passed up opportunities to grow faster than they really have. They've perhaps they haven't taken investment capital. Uh, there are things they could have done differently mm-hmm. if their only goal was growing fast. Um, you are getting to the point, though, where you may, it seems like you might be more interested in being a giant giant than a small giant. I know you're thinking about your yeah. growth. H- how big is the company now? Uh, we're close to 80 people now. And do, do you say what your revenues are? Uh, yeah, about um, 11 million in there. Um, and you've been uh, looking at uh, buying other similar businesses in other geographic yeah. areas. Um What's that been like? Because you, you have a special, I know you have a, an interesting culture for your company, the idea of bringing other companies into it, mm-hmm. uh, I, I'm guessing must be a challenge for you. Yeah. Um, and so we're about to have a little growth spurt. It's kind of like a kid, you know, we've been growing steady and really for 17 years. And so it's not that fast in the scheme of things. So we've been around for a long time. And in particular, the last uh, three years, I have been entirely focused on building scalable systems, defining our culture, knowing how to grow it and how to talk scalable about it. Scalable systems to, to manage your Yeah, company. like quite literally like our time tracking system, our, our resource management system, our project management system, all those kind of things, making sure that they're set up to handle multiple offices um, with hundreds of people instead of one office with 50 people. That you're doing this in part, I think, because you, you, you happen to be a Forbes contributor as well, mm. and you recently wrote a very interesting post um, in which you talked about how you did a survey of your employees, 
and didn't quite get the answers you were expecting yeah. to get. Can you tell us about yeah, that? Yeah, that was kind bit? of the beginning of this planning for growth, um, trying to make sure that we could define our culture so that we know how to talk about it when we're hiring, when we're looking for new companies. The first thing they want to know is, you know, describe your culture. And if we, we can't do that, it's hard to grow it. And so um, doing a cultural survey we did uh, three years ago with some uh, consultants that I use called Calibrate. And they're cognitive psychologists, and they came in and they, they measured things that um, are known to um, connect to a thriving culture, a productive culture where people feel valued. And those are generally the kind of things that create, you know, also a happy workplace where people get along and they like to be together. Um, so we um, we did that survey, and they, the results were, I, th I thought many of the things would be great, and certainly the things we were working on, there would be clarity, people would know what their jobs were, their responsibilities um, but in many cases, they, they really didn't because I was trying to create this really flat, open structure, but it was too flat and too open and people weren't being taken care of and they didn't know how to, how to get a raise, for example. Um, so it, it really um, caused people to sort of not have clear purpose at work and that's a big part in hard to feel valued if you're not quite sure what you're supposed to be doing. And so um, we really stopped and took that seriously and created uh, what I call a cultural framework which has six dimensions to it that we can measure. You're listening to Mind Your Business. We're doing a special show live from EY's Strategic Growth Forum. Uh, our guest is Karen Clark-Call of Blink UX. Um, so I guess in, in some ways it forced you to focus on what's important to building a, a great culture. Yeah. Um, and great, you know, great to me is uh, it's productive. People are hardworking. We're adding, you know, the most amount of value possible to a client every single day. And so it's coming in and it's really being focused. And, um, and you know, it's a lot of smart people working hard. And so it's not, you know, the, the beer in the fridge and the ping pong table, those in the parties, you know, those are fun things to have. As Do a, you have as them? A, oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're really important for building um, friendships and community. But but they're not they're not what define a thriving culture. Um that's measurable and repeatable. I think and, some and people really think it, it is what defines a thriving culture. Yeah, I mean, you, you get beer in the fridge, that's not going to give people clarity in their jobs. And you win the ping pong tournament, uh, tournament and that's not going to you know give them the rewards that they need for doing a good job and working hard for a client. So you did that survey where you found that the clarity you were hoping for wasn't there. People didn't right. fully appreciate or uh, understand the things that you thought they would. What was the next step? Um, to really to work with these consultants and figure out, okay, what do we need to do to create more clarity, to create um, a, a feedback system where people are getting and giving constant feedback? Um, how do we foster team commitment? How do we um, give, make sure that people understand what their responsibilities are so they take that, you know, they're accountable? Um, and so we sort of worked through that. And, you know, some of the things are really basic, like feedback. You just got to give it. Um, you got to ask for it. And those are things that seem obvious, but they're really not in a day-to-day -day basis in a company generally. But how do you, you talked about trying to track this with a system. How yeah. do you? So I created a, I designed a software tool. I tried to buy one in there that couldn't find one. So we designed one internally. We call it the grow tool. And it, um, it measures all these six uh, major things that you can actually track. Uh, things like the when you get an email from a client talking about how that project went or, you know, good and bad feedback, you can forward that to the system and it tracks it in connection with that project that you're working on. Um, you also can give self-feedback and it um, it tracks uh, your metrics in the projects. It tracks um, goals that metrics you're Metrics on projects, meaning how quickly... Uh, net, net promoter scores, are you on budget, are you on time? Um, those are the main things that we look at. Um, 
And uh, then we, you know, we do things like I'm, I'm trying to understand the cause and effect when a project goes really well. What is it that caused it to go well and, and vice versa if it didn't? So we're looking. It helps us, you know, focus in on what's, what we need to pay attention to. This software sounds like it could be useful to a lot of other businesses. Have you thought about? Yeah, uh, we've actually just spun it into a, a separate product company. So have you stay really? Stay tuned on that. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Is it available for sale now? It will be. Not yet. Yeah. How Couple, soon? Um, six months, maybe. Interesting. Yeah. I bet you'll. Uh, <laughs> I bet you'll get a lot of interest with that. Have you uh, have you tested the waters at all? Did you? Uh, yeah, we've got a lot of uh, a lot of interest, particularly um, from the um, C-suite people, because they can really. You, it produces a beautiful timeline where you can see sort of all the cause and effect of somebody's performance over the course of a year. Um, it's a, you know there's a lot of data in this system. It's very data driven, and so my approach is let's talk about culture from a data standpoint. Does that scare employees? Uh, do they worry that the yeah. human element is disappearing and that they're being evaluated by an algorithm? That no, they... it's not an algorithm at all. I mean, they can see exactly where the data is coming from, and they're, in a lot of cases, they're putting the data in there because it makes it richer for them, so they can also track their own performance, which they're really interested in doing. Um, and then come annual review time, it prints out this great timeline that um, allows them to see the year because generally they can't remember. They don't remember what projects they work on. They can't remember that they broke their arm last year and that's why everything went in the tank. It's like, oh, we don't need to worry about that. So it, it sort of frees them up from having a more meaningful conversation come annual review time and monthly check-ins as well. So it, it takes the guesswork out of it. The data is provided and they can actually get to having a real conversation. And their manager's job is to meet with them you know, and talk every month, every week. Um, and they don't have to worry about collecting data. Have you done another survey since you implemented this? No, system? but we're ready for it. Yeah. I mean, we do a lot of informal ones, but not the same official one that we did last time, but it's coming. That'll yeah. be interesting. Yeah, it will. <laughs> I hope it's better. <laughs> so how does this translate in terms of um, bringing in uh, an entirely new office? If you buy another company sure. and uh, you essentially adopt all of their employees, uh, people who've been trained in an entirely yeah. different system, how will you approach bringing them into your culture? Um, well, the, it's honestly, it's the first conversation we start having with these companies that we're looking at buying and it, it's the first stopping point as well. So if we can't get past being on the same page about what matters and why having a productive thriving culture is important and here's how to get there, um, then the, we don't have any more conversations. That's it. And so, you know, when we get past there, then generally people are really excited about it because you can actually define it instead of it being this sort of loosey goosey, um, free-flowing kind of word and thing. and There's actually some real numbers, and people really actually are excited about it. What are the red flags? How do you know something doesn't feel right and it's time to move on? Um, people are w working purely to make profit. Um, you know, that that's one. <laughs> Um, or people are they're working really long hours. They expect their employees to be, you know, hammering it out 60 hours a week um, because they're billing hours. And so, you know, for us, I, I really believe that you have a – a good night's sleep and get some exercise and time with your family, then you're going to come back and you're going to be smarter and more focused. And that's the kind of productive culture we want to have. So, yeah. The the companies you're buying, are, are they essentially doing the same kind of consulting work that you're doing, yeah. but just in different areas? Yeah, different cities. Um, so it's a way for us to grow more quickly because we really need to right now. Our clients are asking us to have bigger teams that can mobilize more quickly and also be closer to them. So historically, it hasn't been a problem being located in Seattle, working across the country. But as we get bigger and the teams are larger, it's nicer to be closer. And so we're really trying to do that. And a, a lower risk way to do it, you know, sort of oddly enough, is to buy companies that are already doing it in those locations. They come with revenue. They come with profit. They come with people. 
um, Did you try the clients. alternative of opening your yeah, own office? Yeah, we've been slowly trying to grow. And um, it, it's just hard because you have a cat and mouse game in consulting and services because um, – you, you know, you don't want to have people sitting on the bench while you're waiting for the work. And then you, when you get the work, you need a team quickly. And so it's really hard to scale that way. So we've done it. Obviously, we've gotten to pretty big numbers. But, yeah. Well, Karen, you have a lot going on uh, <laughs> between uh, implementing the new system, rolling out a software product that you might sell. Um, and uh, I'm really interested in hearing about the next survey. So yeah. will you come back and tell us when some of these things, in, including the purchases, Absolutely. play out? Yep. We'll, we'll want to hear more. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.